how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 383, where I spoke with the director, Brandon Dermer, known for What Would Diplo Do? and I'm Totally Fine. Brandon got his start playing in, quote, shitty screamo bands, being in the radio club in high school, and just making general shorts and teasers. Getting some traction from his shorts in college, he actually won an internship for a fake trailer that led him to work in L.A., where he soon made music videos for Major Lazer, Panic at the Disco, and Diplo. He talks about that whole process in this interview. We also talk about his latest film, I'm Totally Fine. The description reads, A woman in mourning who takes a solo trip to clear her head after the death of her best friend. However, her self-care vacation plans change when she's met with a situation, quote, out of this world. In this interview, we talk about friendship with John LeJoey, who plays Taco on the league, why Brandon's always looking for new collaborations, doing more than film school requires, working for Comedy Central, quality through quantity, and advice for getting noticed today. So I grew up in the Midwest suburbs of Chicago, the Northwest suburbs in the Midwest of Chicago. Um, I've always just been like a hyperactive kid doing a bunch of different stuff. I played in shitty screamo bands. I was in the radio club and high school. My friends and I made videos um, that played at our school's morning announcements, like comedy videos and such. And I just always wanted to be creating. So um, my bands weren't that good. The videos were pretty funny. So I went to film school at Columbia College, Chicago, and I went like five of my friends and we got our hands on a Panasonic DVX 100A and we just started making shorts. Like through my time in film school, I was only required to make three mm. um, shot on Bolex editing film with razors. And my friends and I made a short a month. And <clears throat> some of those got the attention of local very local film festivals like the indie incubator film festival uh which was held at mother's bar and we won for uh, a fake trailer we made and then through my film school i got into this honors program called semester in la where basically every day for a month and a half different people would come in from the industry from assistants writers directors cinematographers and they would just tell their stories and it was a very eye-opening experience and made me want to stay in la so stayed in la got a job as an assistant through happenstance through like weird like I had like five internships I was a waiter um and then one of those uh internships turned into a full-time job as an assistant so I was an assistant to three manager producers and during that time I really learned the business those guys are total mentor figures for me like if I honed my voice in film school um with my friends I definitely learned how to maneuver through Hollywood with them and eventually I made a short film well First, I met John Lajoie, this incredible comedian who's now a dear friend of mine who later went on to become a taco on the league. Um, and I met him when he was just making YouTube videos, but they were substantial, getting hundreds of millions of views. And he was like literally pointing cameras at himself. And I was like, hey, you're from Canada. I'm from Chicago. We're like kind of nice guys. Uh, I'd love to work with you. I'm more behind the scenes. And I started working with him, making his videos. And they were he and I running around nights and weekends. They blew up continue to he got cast on the league and one of my bosses was like you have to make something without him to sort of show your sensibility 
what you want to do. We know you have the cinematic edge. So I made a short film. It got the attention of people in Hollywood and it sold my first script. And then it sort of snowballed from there. But yeah, early Chicago suburbs, John Hughes country, watching MTV every morning with my friends is where it all began. It sounds like you had a lot of early camaraderie. Um, are you kind of always like reaching out to people, networking, trying to share ideas? Like, how do you kind of think about some of those things from a business stance? Yeah, I mean, I grew up again playing in shitty screamo bands and a big part of that scene um, and bands that came out of that little bubble um, were like Fall Out Boy, the Academy is much more successful bands. Um, we we once opened for Fall Out Boy, we were like, wow, 30 people are here instead of zero. Um, but that was all word of mouth and street team. And, you know, street team was like flyering and telling people and being like, you got to see this band. And um, I'm just genuinely a fan of music and film. And I know that I become a disciple of the things that I love. Like when I see a movie, I want to tell my friends and be like, you got to see this. You got to listen to this album. So I really uh, value that of making an audience feel a part of a project. And then as far as networking and collaboration, I mean, every project I've ever done is a collaboration, whether it was John and I or this film where it's best idea wins. I want to create a space where everyone feels like they can jump in and put a piece of themselves into a project and yeah, I find that by doing that and making real connections with people, um, you you often find yourselves either working together immediately on something great or three or five years down the line. So, mm. yeah. Also, like I'm birthed from, you know, the Internet, like my projects like blew up on the Internet and the Reddit communities and places like this that really propped me up. So did that answer it? I yeah, maybe. <laughs> Do you also kind of see like, I mean, you were making a short a month, you kind of see like a quality through quantity type thing start to happen. It seems like you'd fast track your learning curve a little bit. Yeah. in film schools, like we were required to make three. <clears throat> we tried to make one a month where like we would just use our resources. The five of us would all write together. Someone would direct, someone would act. I was also waiting tables and I'd ask some of the waiters, like, I need you to act in this thing. And we tried to make them you know, these little short films rather than just like quick, quick sketches. Like we tried to think about production design and lighting and sound design and all these things. Um, yeah, it was really like, and that, that prepared me because then years later I was the in-house writer director for Comedy Central in 2015 and I was required to do a short a month. And I was like, oh, great, back in college. Um, now just with budgets and talent. Is it, I mean, so that's not a, I mean, it's a lot, but it's maybe it's not a crazy workload. It's not like, you know, SNL multiple per week. Um, how did you kind of go about deciding some of those ideas? When did you know it was good enough to pursue for your next one for Comedy Central? That Comedy Central was, um, you know, they were sort of identical. This was, at, you know, the era of <clears throat> where they were really trying to figure out how to utilize their platform of Comedy Central. And they had such great shows on the air, Workaholics, Broad City, all these shows were, were doing great. And they were like, how do we utilize our online platform to bring in more of an audience and let them know that these shows are all coming on, but indirectly, not just with promos. So they would identify like, hey, uh, WrestleMania is coming up. Brandon, we see that there's a huge crossover between WrestleMania fans and Comedy Central fans, aka you. So let's develop something. And then they'd come and go, hey, Dolph Ziggler, wants to do something and he's available this day then i would be like okay i don't know if i'm the right person to write it because i like wrestling but i feel like in order to do this right we need someone who loves it and like can really speak to that audience so then they went to matt mccarthy 
a comedy writer and stand-up who's worked at WWE. So he and I get together, we spitball ideas. And once we hit something that makes us laugh, we then go pitch Comedy Central. They give us notes and eventually we land ourselves in a green light and we shoot, you know, we shoot the thing. And when did you kind of, um, at some point you kind of went into music videos as well as just around the same time period? Music videos were, so, you know, I was an assistant, 24 seven job. I have a short film that sort of blows up and uh, I'm like, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do? I should, I, I want to make a music video. I'm a failed musician turned director. I love music. And I also love music videos that, you know, from growing up in the nineties that were like short films dressed as music videos. And a lot of those directors of my favorite videos from the nineties ended up becoming some of my favorite storytellers. So the first music video I did, again, my credibility at that point was a lot of John Lajoie videos and one short film. So I just started reaching out to bands on Facebook and there was a group that I loved out of the UK called Future Cop. They're like the synth pop dreamy. They basically make music that sounds like an 80s score. And I said, I would love to do something for you. And they were like, great, our label has $1,000. I was like, cool, I just sold a script. I'll put in $1,000. Now we have $2,000 to make a music video. And I came up with this concept that felt <clears throat> like it lent itself to their music. Um, the song's called The Only Way. And I asked Lajoie to be in it because I'm like, you're on TV and you're my friend. Would you do me a favor and be in this video to give it a little bit more credibility? Um, and then th that's really what started it. At the beginning, it was me just reaching out to bands and saying, here's my work. I love you. I'd love to do something. And eventually, um, I made a music video for a band that I stumbled into a bar and saw play for no one called Necrogoblicon. And I approached them about making their music video. Um, they were like, yeah, this is just a hobby. But I had this concept and they eventually agreed to it. And uh, we raised a little bit of money through brands and they sold their their van. And we made this music video. And on day two, it went on the front page of Reddit. And the, the comment was something like, I think this is the best music video of all time. And that video really thrust my music video career because day three of that video being out, Diplo tweeted at me. And then he contacted me and I did his next music video. And then after that, Dylan Francis saw that. And then Panic at the Disco saw that. And Kill the Noise saw that. So it really started from that that video. If you were, I know your your career is still relatively fresh. You've been around more than 10 years, though. If you were kind of starting today and, I don't know, would you try to get noticed on YouTube? Would you go to festivals? What might you do to kind of get that work, like the first couple steps to be noticed as a director? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was an assistant, I was writing scripts and no one would read them. It was just like, you're like a, no, you're an assistant. I don't give a shit. Also, it's really hard to get people to read. So I made a short film uh, that was a fake trailer for a movie that would never exist. And it was the dumbest idea I could think of, but I made it feel hyper, hyper real. And that got the attention. And I would still that do that today. Just maybe the marketing would have been different. Maybe like I would tease it on TikTok. There's a great writer and now director in his own right, Jordan Van Dyna. He was a writer on What Would Diplo Do, my first TV show. The way that he got discovered was two things. Um, so he's a fantastic feature writer. If you search him, he's got a ton of features in development. He uh, wrote The Binge for Hulu, and he wrote and directed The Binge 2 uh, for Hulu. That comes out December 9th. But the way that he got discovered was he started a Twitter um, called Assistant to Doug, where he wrote as if he was Doug Ellen, the creator of Entourage's assistant. But he was very enthusiastic about it. And he also started a project called Weekend Scripts, where once a month, he would write a script in the span of a weekend and put it on Reddit. And it and it caught the attention of eventually Paul Shear, who thought one of them was so funny that he did a live reading of it at the Largo with like Nick Kroll and all of their friends. Mm. So if something was to happen, like 
Trump gets elected. He wrote 22 Trump Street that weekend, like real fast. He's a machine. So that's a long-winded way of like, I find that short form, interesting sort of left of center things that can cut through the clutter. Because you got to think of agents and managers and producers. They are getting submitted scripts and films all day long. And it's like, how do you make something, you know, very small and quick, but that really like, you know, I can look back in that first short film that I made or those early music videos, and I can see my work today in it, like the backbone of it. So I think it's about making something um, condensed, but that doesn't compromise. You're not going for like a viral hit. You're not like trying to make the Dollar Shave Club commercial. You're trying to make something that's true to your voice. Mm. So how, so how did What Would Diplo come to be? What was your kind of involvement with the TV show with James Vanderbeek? What was your involvement with that? What kind of risk is involved in like creating this semi-real, not real? Like he was just on a show before that where he played himself too. So there's a lot of stuff going on when this show comes out. How what was your kind of involvement? So this was like 2015, going 2015 into 2016. Um, at this point, I've done multiple music videos for Diplo and his label, Mad Decent. And his manager contacted me being like, he's got a tour coming up. We want to make a tour promo. Here's what usual EDM tour promos are. We want the opposite of that, right? Some ideas. And at the time I was approached by a few producers about like, we want to make like the EDM show or the EDM movie and make it like ballers or entourage. And I'm like, from my experience of working with these folks, they're really not that. They're like really technical computer guys. Right. Um, but I thought like, I'll write what I feel like everyone wants me to tell them that these these people are like so i wrote this idea and then i was like who could play him like who looks like him and i was like maybe james vanderbeek he kind of looks like him and also he played himself so masterfully on being apartment 23 let me see if he'd be interested so my manager sent him the script and he said yeah i'll do it as long as we can write in a ninja fight scene because he was doing some ninja fight training so i said absolutely we make this promo we put it out and then um this guy, Nick Weidenfeld, who was at Adult Swim, then moved over to Viceland, saw it, and he showed it to Spike Jones, who was the head creative director. And Spike was like, I think there's a show here. So that, all of a sudden, I get a call from Diplo's manager being like, Spike Jones wants to talk to you and James about doing this as a show. And at this point, this was like a month later, I haven't talked to James since the one day we worked together. So I called James, I pitched him on the idea. Thank God he said yes. The next thing I know, I'm on a plane to New York and then on the subway with James Vanderbeek going to meet Spike Jones and we sit with Spike for about four and a half hours, talk about the idea. And then he goes, great. Can you be up in production in February? And we just said, yes. And, uh, you know, so I directed every episode, I executive produced it and I co-created it, um, with James and, um, you know, we took real life inspiration from things that have publicly happened to Diplo and we then created these like fantastical stories around them. Like, for example, Diplo once got in a tweet argument with Zed. And we took those actual tweets, reinterpreted them, made it actually between him and Calvin Harris and made it that any time that Diplo got a negative tweet from someone, he imagined ninjas attacking him. So like we took this real it was it was really fun to like blur the line of what was actually happening. Right. Um, are you seeing more of this, like, I guess maybe it's like this leverage and comedy. So like in the drama world, some news story happens, somebody buys the rights to make a movie and comedy though, there can be weird things like just not something you worked on, but that this weird Al movie just came out. It's like a biopic that was based yep. on like a fake trailer. Like, 
does like this little bit of momentum, like, does it get you in bigger and bigger rooms? Like people might say like, you're lucky, but you're putting a lot of stuff out there and just some things are hitting, you know I mean? Because there there's a lot there, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel that um, in the comedy space, you really have to continue to prove yourself and to be taken seriously because there are how many like little viral videos do you see pop? And then those people disappear. I mean, that Weird Al trailer that it was based on came out when I was an assistant. I remember that trailer very well. And Eric Appel, who then later goes to direct the movie. It's so cool. Eric has had an incredible career of directing television and I think has really made a name for himself and was able to take this small idea and blow it up and make it this really big and exciting thing. So yeah, I've been a huge proponent of like, as I have success, I'm still building my real and showing people what I can do and the vast sort of uh, content that I can create. You know, when I was editing What Would Diplo Do, I shot a music video for a small band called White Reaper at the time, uh, starring Alexander Daddario, because I wanted to put out something very different mm -hmm. from what I had coming out, you know, a few months later, which was What Would Diplo Do? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, to answer your question, like, there's definitely luck. I found myself in the right place at the right time, but I have been putting out so much content mm -hmm. um, at end of, and what I hope at a certain quality to show people um, when they watch what would Diplo do, or they watched Flatbush misdemeanors or now my friend, my film, I'm totally fine. I hope they go back and go, what else has he done? And then they go, Oh, wow. He made this Vimeo staff pick slasher mini movie. Maybe we should talk to him about that. And then it's like, yes, I have interest in that genre as well. So uh, quality over quantity. I've made a lot, but I'm very particular in, in what I make. Hmm. So tell me about the latest project. How did you first get involved with them? Totally fine. So going into 2022, I had this big action comedy set up at a major studio. And I thought it was gonna be my first movie, like a big, silly action comedy. And then the pandemic happened and a bunch of other things. And that movie went away and died. And the uncertainty of 2022 of just like, I'm 2022 of 2020 still uncertainty with everything but in 2020 of the the collective uncertainty of every day was what what the hell is happening what is going on it was really hard for me to deal with it and uh once I started looking at that and examining it and with my therapist realizing like the moment I stop trying to control this thing that I have no control over I can actually calm down be happy and work again so once I cleared my head and got there I was like hmm how do I explore that feeling and what I went through, you know, the death of 2020, the loss of control, the death of control. And I thought, what better way to do that than with an alien, like something so outside of our reality. So I had this idea and then I approached my friend and writer, Alicia Keetry. I actually met her waiting tables at Jake Melnick's in Chicago when we were both in film school. She's super successful. She writes on American Dad. And I approached her with this concept and it resonated with her as well. So we started working on a treatment. At the same time, I booked a commercial for Samsung with Jason Derulo to promote phones. It was my first thing I was about to do in the pandemic. And it was changing the landscape of what the set looked like. And I saw that my friend, Kyle Nuacek, posted it on, on Instagram saying, I just directed my first Zoom commercial. So I was like, hey, can we talk? Like, I just want to hear from you. You've always been a mentor figure. So we get on a Zoom, like you and I are talking right now. And He's telling me about this experience. I'm talking about mine. And he's like, what else are you working on? I'm like, well, I have a bunch of TV shows in development and I had this movie die, but I have this indie I want to work on. And he's like, what is it? And I pitched him essentially what I just pitched you. And he yeah. said, I want to make that. He's like, I want to make that movie. That was July of 
2020. And then he's, you know, me, him and Keetri get on the phone. He's like, who do you want to star in it? I was like, we've been seriously writing this for Jillian Valley. It was great. Let me call her. She heard the concept. She was in. She And then we said, Jillian, who do you want to be opposite you? We have a list, but we want to hear who you want. And she's like, Natalie Morales. We're like, holy cow, she's on our list. Let's see if we can make it happen. Jillian calls Natalie. And then, yeah, the rest is history. So it was a very organic series of, of events. And I can I can credit my relationship to Kyle back to that Necrogoblicon video because when that Necrogoblicon video came out and blew up, the first music video I did after that was for Diplo's Major Laser. And I cast Blake Anderson from Workaholics in it because I'm such a huge Workaholics fan. And Blake and I became friends. And eventually he said, you should meet Kyle. So mm. I can trace it all back to, to that video. Did you ever um, kind of get stuck in any of these worlds? So like, I did commercials years ago and it was hard to transition because if you leave the commercial world, you can leave a lot of your contacts. If you're doing a movie, you're gone for 30 days. Lots of different things can happen. Like, did you, I imagine, were you trying for the whole 10 years to get a movie made or what was kind of that process like on the back end? That's part of the reason I like putting out a lot of stuff. And, you know, the advantage of social media as much of a, you know, of a time suck it can become and whatnot. I, I find that through honestly, Instagram, my work and what is going on and coming out can be so forward facing to people I've worked with in all these different categories, the commercial world, the music video world, the TV world, the film world, that um, it's a way to sort of stay relevant to all those folks in a way that they're not checking my website every day. <laughs> you know, who, you know, they're not even, I don't know if they've been to my website period, but for them to have this, this profile where they can you know not even know it see that like oh he just he just directed a commercial he just directed a music video has been a way for me to stay in front of these people but with that said being a guy who came out during music videos so when my music videos were blowing up pretty comedy central i was pitching shows and everyone's like yeah but you're a music video director like we need to see some scenes and in my mind i'm like these are you know this is just silent film. silent film here. I'm just telling you can watch my music videos on mute and hopefully have the same emotional impact. Once I booked that job at Comedy Central and I started making these shorts that were scenes with dialogue, then all of a sudden the TV and film people were like paying a little bit more attention. And same with the commercial people. So that's when I started getting commercial work. And then that, you know, thank God, you know, Spike Jones and what would Diplo do? Let me show people I can make TV. But um I find that in the music video space, I, it's someone sees my work and wants to work with me. I'm never booking anything when it like is like, so-and-so needs a video. I've never booked a video like that, period. I've tried. Commercials, I am very much like a creative director or someone sees my work and is like, that dude. You know, It's never like, hey, a deck's come in and then I write on that deck and then they go to my work and they're like, what, what is this? Like, it's too, too out there. So all the commercial work, you know, has been through um, relationships. And then once I've, you know, I've performed and shown these production companies or, or clients that I can do it, um, I also just stay in touch. Like when I finished the movie, I emailed, you know, some of these producers and ad agency folks who I really liked working with going, hey, I, you know, I'm coming up for air after, you know, six months of editing this film, you know, check out the trailer, would love to work together again. So it's a lot of just persistence and you know, hustle, but the goal has always been TV and film. And, and I love music videos and commercials because they keep me fresh. They keep me on my feet, you know? Um, like, you know, I shot this movie in December of 2020. It just came out. 
in between then I did multiple commercials. I did multiple music videos. Um, and then those, I think, helped me then when I book a show like Flatbush Misdemeanors. It's not like I shot a movie and then I wasn't on set for a whole year. You know, it's like I shot a movie. I was editing all year. But in between that, I shot um, essentially branded content for Atlantic, for Benny Blanco and Maddie Matheson. I shot a couple commercials. So I'm 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 just keeping myself fresh. What was kind of the... So you're you're a writer as well. What was kind of the decision you mentioned approaching Alicia to write this? Was it because timing, you were busy? Was it because it's a female vehicle? What was some of the ideas behind that? Alicia, uh, again, we met uh, waiting tables at film school. And she is, I'm a good writer. She's a fucking great writer. And uh, there's some things I can get away with writing. This on the emotion I wanted to tap into and the depth that I wanted to have, I knew that she was the perfect person Um you know, she's a writer on American Dad, but she has written some scripts that are in various stages of development that are so deep and smart and have such an interesting way of looking at the human condition through an absurd device. I just knew that she was the person to take this little seed of an idea that I had and actually, you know, fully, fully realize it. And we worked hand in hand in the development process, but when it actually went to the writing, that it's all Alicia. From a director, are there any, I feel like writing has changed a bit in the last like 10 years. Are there any pet peeves you have when you read a script, anything you don't like to see, anything you are looking for besides kind of the gut instinct and that? I'm always just looking for like, what's that like for this movie? It was like the death of 2020, the loss of control. You know, the big crazy action comedy I had mm. was without getting into it. It was a big, silly fun action comedy you watch this thing have a couple beers and laugh but the thing that resonated with me and i saw in it was never judge a book by its cover like below all of the fluff and fun like that was the driving thing so i just have to figure out when i read these scripts like how can i see myself or just a personal connection in any way you know even if it's abstract in a script you mentioned that one kind of um falling away during the pandemic and everything did that one also, because there's not really that many straight comedy movies being made today. Did you have to have some type of action you already shot? Did the ninja scenes from Diplo help with that? Like, what are some of the thinking behind that? The studio um, was like, we have this talent and we want to develop something around him. Mm -hmm. And we're curious, what would the guy who made What Would Diplo Do <laughs> do with that? So I came up with a take. I pitched this talent. He dug it. And then we went back to the studio and I pitched it. And, um, you know, so you have a, you have a big studio and you have a big piece of like a big, big person mm -hmm. and then an interesting take. And that, that was enough to get it, you know, over the, over the line and get us into development. Mm -hmm. If the, if the pandemic didn't happen, I think that would have been my first movie. I'm very happy that I'm totally fine with my first movie. I think that it, um, it's such a sweet, honest, vulnerable so film, but it has everything that's always been in my work. This like crazy, absurd device, but treated really sincerely. And I'm excited, even just in this, the short time that the film's been out, the scripts that are coming to me are big comedies, but then also interesting small films. So I'm I'm glad that this was the first thing I put out in that space. Do you have any other advice, like kind of those breaking in today? You mentioned a lot of great stuff already. Anything else that stands out kind of getting noticed? Check that out. I would just say make as much stuff as you can with your friends and 
don't be afraid to fail. Easier said than done, but you know, again, when I was in film school, we made a short a month that was outside of school. You know, we weren't getting the acting majors to act in our stuff. It was us and other waiters that we worked with. We also made a feature. Like one of my buddies that I went to film school with was also working at Motorola, saved 10 grand, and we made a feature film. No one's ever going to see that thing, but we made it. And we learned a lot because we wore every single hat, you know, and and don't be afraid to reach out to people. Like, you know, um, when I first moved to L.A., I wanted to make a short. And there was this comedian named Aaron Gibson who I followed. Um, she's a successful now um, and she was then, but I reached out to her and she was willing to sit with me and, and, and took a meeting. And uh, I'm so mortified of this. I don't even know if I should say it out loud, but Rob Delaney is in this short too. Um, he was just a comedian and another comedian was like, Hey, my friend, Rob, you know, I've emailed him since being like, I'm so embarrassed you were in this. This was before my short that blew up, but yeah, just don't, it's easier said than done, but be okay with failing and be okay with, you know, my movie falling apart is why I actually got a movie made because who knows if that big studio film would have happened. So just put out stuff, ask questions, be willing to learn. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting there. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.